we undergo in life as God takes us from being what we are naturally on our own into something new. And it's something, that, that it, it's something that, that's meaningful because we're being made into the image of Christ. And so we've looked at a couple different thoughts, and we're going to continue that today with moving, moving from, today we're going to talk about moving from, from being empty to being full. And I want to start by, by saying that um, for a kid who grew up in Florida, where I did, uh, at the beach all the time, and um, when I was born, uh, our family had, a, had an above-ground swimming pool, Okay. For a kid that, that grew up with those conditions, I was very slow to come around to, to swimming. Um, I was really afraid of the water. I didn't like it. Um, I, I, there's, a, there's a story around my household, around my family, that I, you know, my sisters were out in the yard with me, and I jumped in the pool, and I was at the bottom of the pool, and they had to rescue me. I have no memory of this. I, if it happened, if it's not legend, I was tiny. But, but perhaps it triggered something in my brain. But, but I went years and years before I would just willingly get in the water. Um, so much so that actually the school that I went to, had we, we had a pool on campus, and swimming was a part of our phys, physical education curriculum. And, and um, when I knew it was coming, I, I would play sick every day. Every day I would play sick. And, uh, and my, you know, my teachers began to catch on to the fact that, that when it was, you know, kickball day in second grade, Tommy felt fine. Um, but when it was time to head to the pool, I, I, I had a tummy ache or, or something was wrong with me. I just didn't like it. And, um, and, I, and, and as I began to get into it, or began to like my, my family sort of, you know, forced it upon me. You, you, you can't go through life without learning to swim, particularly given a, a household that has a swimming pool. Um, and so, you know, I, I did what many kids do. Like, and I hung out on the side, and I made sure that if I was in the water, my feet could touch the bottom. And, and that was, that's where sort of like we were comfortable in the shallow end, okay? And, um, but over time, over time, I began to experience like the fun and the joy of, of being able to swim. I, I became a pretty good swimmer. I learned to do it. I overcame that fear. And I found that, that there was a lot more fun to be had in the deep end of the pool, Okay? And I, I say all of this just as a way to say that this morning, um, I think there's an awful lot of us, be, and, I, and I think there's an awful lot of pressure for us culturally to stay in the shallow end of the pool. I think that there's, we have voices all the time that, that as soon as life begins to get a little bit deeper, as soon as we begin to, to ask questions that go beyond, you know, maybe knee deep, there's voices that start to say, hey, I'm not sure you really want to go there. There's voices that as it, you know, it gets up to our waistline, we start to, you know, feel like the frigidness of it and start to retreat a little bit. And then certainly when it gets to the point where our feet can't touch the bottom, for many of us, we begin to panic in, in the deeper questions of life. But I'm, I'm, I don't want to apologize today for this. We're going to talk about some of life's most important questions. And we're going to do it because the scriptures are plain, not just on the fact that these questions exist, but they invite us to think about them and to, and to, to, to ruminate on them and to, to really spend time in the deep end of the pool with things that matter a great deal. And, and whether we acknowledge the importance of these questions, it doesn't at all um, mean that the questions are any less important. It doesn't diminish their, their importance by simply ignoring them. And so today we're going to talk about questions that deal with, with, the, with life and its meaning. Why are we here? What, what, for, to what end do we exist? 
And there's a lot of different answers to that. People answer it in different ways, and, and we know that. Um, but, but how do we know that, that life isn't just a string of empty or meaningless um, uh, uh, occasions across our life? So I want to just, the, again, there's a lot of different answers. I just want to look at some of these. Stephen Jay Gould, philosopher, uh, said that we may yearn for, high, for, for a higher answer, but none exists. This explanation, though superficially troubling, if not terrifying, is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. So this guy says, he says that the, the idea that there is no meaning is actually exhilarating. That's a, a strange thought. He says we cannot read the meaning of life passively in the facts of nature, like we can't just look at nature and figure it out. We must construct answers ourselves. Ah, we are getting to an answer for him on the meaning of life. From our own wisdom and ethical sense, there's no other way. This is a humanist, right, who says that the answers to the deepest questions of life are just simply found in yourself, in your own sense of these things. Garrison Keewer, the, the host of Prairie Home Companion and um, NPR hero, said that gentleness is everywhere in daily life, a sign that faith rules through ordinary things. Even in the time of elephantine, that's a, we don't use that word enough, do we? Elephantine vanity and greed. One never has to look far to see the campfires of gentle people. If you ever listen to his program, this is straight out of his playbook. Lacking any other purpose in life, it would be enough to live for their sake. There's gentle people all around us. It's, it's enough if we just live for their sake. This one, when I, when I saw this, stunned me. I believe we're here for a reason. Created by somebody to live for somebody to return to somebody. I believe that I'm created by God to do the job that he's given me while I'm here to serve him and then return to him. Iron Mike Ditka, right? Very sort of clear, straightforward answer. Um, and I will confess, this one caused a little puddle below my eyes. I used to wonder why God, why did God pick on me and give me cancer? Maybe it was because he wanted me to be a doctor who takes care of kids with cancer. So when they say, Dr. Jason, I get so scared, or you don't know how weird it is to be the only bald kid in your whole school, I can say, oh, yes, I do. I had cancer, and look at my hair now. It's from an 11-year-old cancer patient, Jason Gase. We, whether or not we, we acknowledge the, the important big questions about life and its meaning, they're present. They're present. Um, we... We have so many potential ways to answer the question. We live in a world of options when it comes to life and its meaning and what we're doing here. But it's also pretty easy to avoid the question altogether, to turn on the TV, a podcast, pick up a book. It's pretty easy to, to, to thumb through social media and just look at, at pleasant things or maybe in some cases not so pleasant things, but still avoid the question it's also possible that we can become really satisfied with not thinking about it or satisfied with the superficial answers that we've provided ourselves. But, but we believe that the scriptures beg us, they call to us to do the hard work in our souls, to understand not just like who God is, but why he's seen fit for us to be here, that our place in his story has meaning that our lives aren't just empty. And so if you've been with us, we've been looking at this key passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1. The first two verses of the Bible, I believe, give us a, a key to understanding what it is that God's doing. When it says in verse 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. 
darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You see, in, in Genesis chapter 1, we hear God created everything that is. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, we find out that, that there are these conditions that exist. Before the rest of God's work in Genesis chapter 1, we see these things. And we looked a couple weeks ago at the fact that before God went to work, it was dark. And the very first thing God did in the rest of creation was that he said, let there be light. He brought light to the darkness. And last week, we talked about the idea that, that it was formless. Before God went to work, everything that existed, was it was chaos. And what God did with the chaos was he, he put order to it. And today, we're going to look at that third condition, that third condition. But it says it was empty. It was empty. Now, it's, it's physically impossible for something to be chaotic, there's stuff there, but also empty. If it's empty, there's nothing there to be chaotic. And so I really believe that this idea of the emptiness here in, in, in chapter 1, verse 2 of Genesis, is that, is that it was there, but it, it, it didn't have its purpose. It didn't have its meaning. It wasn't in its proper place. It wasn't fulfilling its function. And so... If you've been with us, you've seen this, but I want to continue to look at this, that those conditions were negatives. The darkness, the chaos, and the emptiness were negatives. And what God does in the rest of Genesis chapter 1 is he does something about those conditions. You see this? He, he brings light and dark. He, he, formed, he separates light and dark, and he separates the water above and below, and, and he gathers the dry land those days. He, he forms the chaos. He takes the chaos, and he makes order out of it. And then... The, the, the remainder of, of the creation story tells us that he, in those places where he had formed, he filled. He put the sun, the moon, and the stars to, to, in, in, in the space of the light. He put fish in the, in the water below and, and birds in the water above in the, in the atmosphere. He, he, put, he filled the land with, with, with land animals and with humans. And, and, and he did all of that, and then it says, and that work was good. It was really good. Good. The work that God did in forming and filling, it was good work. But it doesn't stop there. We saw this last week as well, but I really, this is so critical. The end of the Genesis chapter 1, at the end of the creation story, it says that, that God, he created man and woman, but then it says God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and then look at this, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, what God did was he not only formed and filled himself, but then he, he, made, he made humans, people, in his image and said, being made in my image means that you now partner with me in the forming and the filling. You now fill. You now do this work. And that's where we're going to spend our time the rest of the morning. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a filler? What does it mean to have, to have a purpose, to not give in to the emptiness of life? Because it's tempting. It's tempting to throw my hands in the air and say it doesn't, it doesn't have a purpose. It doesn't make sense. I can't make heads or tails of it, so I'm just going to pack it in. Um, what, what else can I watch on TV? What other game can I play? on my phone or what other what other products can i purchase 
that's somehow going to try and do something for me, to stir something in me, to, to hopefully give some sense of meaning to what's happening in my life. And this theme of, of filling, it becomes a dominant theme in the scriptures. Um, hundreds of times, literally hundreds of times in the scriptures, there's, there is warning about being filled with the wrong things and encouragement to be filled with the right. Often in the scriptures, when it talks about things like greed, it talks about people who are full of greed. They're full of deceit, full of slander. That this word full became a way of saying that, that life is moving in a particular direction, and that direction doesn't end until it has total occupancy. And in reverse, we're told to be filled with the good things. We could, I, we could spend the rest of the morning just reading passages that, that talk about this. But I want to hit a couple real quick here. In Colossians chapter 2, in Colossians chapter 2, we just looked at this in our series in Colossians in the fall, if you've been with us. But in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. There are, there, it's easy to be deceived. It says, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. But look at this, verse 9. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. But it doesn't stop there, right? So Christ is the fullness of God. In verse 10, it says, you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Do you get this? Our life in Christ is not meant to be a life of emptiness. It's a life of fullness. It's a life that's full. Ephesians chapter 1 says it this way. Paul as well writes here to the church in Ephesus, and he's, he's just finished. We have to, for the sake of time, to summarize this, he, he's just celebrated who Christ is in a prayer for the church in Ephesus. And in verse 19, he, he picks up and says, this, this, the immeasurable greatness of his, God's power towards us who believe, According to the working of his great might, this is, he's basically saying that, that everything that exists, all that's ever happened, he, he starts this passage in creation and says, it's all been God's work. Verse 20, that he worked, God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and, and has now seated him, Christ, at his right hand, at God's right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So, Again, summarize, Christ is king. Christ is in charge. But verse 22, God put, and he, God, put all things under his, Christ's feet, and gave him, Christ, as head over all things to the church. Catch this, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay? If we simply take that at just, like, without any larger scriptural context, it's nice. Christ is in charge. But catch that last phrase. Because all the work that God did through Christ, all the work in creation, all the work, everything that he's done, raising Christ from the dead, seating him as the ultimate authority, look at what it says there. It culminates in this. His body, the church, us, those who follow him, they are the fullness of him. Where we are now is not an accident. It's not making the best of a bad situation. It's not just, you know, 
making lemonade from lemons, right? It's God's plan that the church is the fullness of the plan. He's filling his people for his work. Our purpose is tied to God's filling of all things. Our purpose isn't just, it's not just random. It's not just choose your own adventure. It's not just figure it out as you go. God has has an intention in his work. His intention to move in his people so that that life has meaning. That, That our there's a purpose to our activity, to our connectedness. But how? And I have to stop and say, sometimes I still just feel so empty. I look around and see others, and they seem to be enjoying life more. They seem to have it easier than I do. They seem to be winning more than I am. And I'm going to be honest, the feeling of emptiness, I I think you experience it too at times, right? And it, it causes me to want to run, to hide. It causes me to want to just, just pull the blanket over my head. Think about something else. To move on. Because I don't like it. I don't like that, that my best efforts just seem to produce the same inadequate results. I don't like it that the tools that once worked for me to get through and get by, they seem to be less effective. I just sort of feel empty. I feel like something's missing. You ever get to the end of a puzzle and there's a piece that's not there? Maybe it's just whatever. But if I, at times, if I'm being honest... I look at the board with the puzzle pieces, and it's not a piece. It's like these large sections that just don't seem to be filled in. I don't like it. I don't want to celebrate it. I don't want to choose to believe that it's just normal and throw my hands up and say that's just the way it is, which some voices in our culture would have us do. And it's certainly not what the scriptures tell us. God's been filling from the beginning. And his intent from the beginning was that we who follow him, the body of Christ, the church, we would be the ones filling all things. He's using us for his purpose. So what do we do about it, and where do we go? What is the point? And I want to look at a few things together this morning. Here's the deal. The really big questions take more than a few minutes on a Sunday morning. What we're going to do this morning is point in some directions, right? I'm going to go here. If you look over there, there's some answers. But but we we have to pursue them with some vigor. If you look over here, here's another one. 
And the first thing that we do when we point is we, we look at this, we point at this and say that a full life pursues what matters. Probably the, the passage of scripture that, that most directly tackles this is the Old Testament wisdom book of Ecclesiastes. Here's where the book starts. It's a pleasant, uh, it's a pleasant read. Um, read with me, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Okay, the second verse of the book of Ecclesiastes uses this word vanity, and it's going to use it throughout the rest of the book. It actually is a, is, a, is a word that in its Hebrew context, it actually means empty, emptiness. Emptiness of emptiness, says the preacher. Emptiness of emptiness, it's all empty. That's, that's the starting point to this book. It's, it's uplifting, I, I promise. Verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils or works under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Do you ever get that feeling? That feeling that like, what, what, what becomes of everything that I'm doing here? Is there anything more to it than just my momentary, what I get out of it? Or The author of Ecclesiastes felt this. Verse 5, the sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circus, circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. You ever, you ever get that feeling of like I'm living in ground, on Groundhog Day? Like, it just, like, doggone it. Am I getting anywhere? I show back up on Monday, and it's the same problems I left on Friday, except maybe bigger, more of them. I go home, and it just seems like the messes that were left are just still there. And I don't have any more desire to do anything about them today than I did yesterday. It just seems like I'm, I'm in the hamster wheel. Do you ever feel that? I think you do. I think if you don't, you're not being honest. Verse 8. All things are weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled, filled with hearing. You catch that? There's nothing that fills. Verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which is said, see, this is new? It's already been... It, 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 it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is, this is depressing, right? This is depressing. He says here, look, everything we're experiencing, it, it doesn't seem like it matters much. It doesn't seem to be making much of a dent. It seems like we're just sort of, you know, we're shoveling away, and every, every scoop that I shovel out, three more appear in its place. I, f I feel that. Not all the time, but I feel it. Oftentimes, doesn't it just seem empty? I'd like to say the book immediately from there goes on to the happy stuff. It doesn't. <laughs> the author wanders into greater depth through several things. He passes through these ideas, and he says, in, in, in the next several chapters, he says, I pursued. This was someone who, who apparently is often attributed to Solomon. It may or may not have been him, but, but it was... It, it was it, it, 
he says, I, he had resources. He says, I pursued wisdom. I tried to be the smartest person in the room. Okay? And you know what? That was empty too. So I tried self-indulgence. I was going to have the most fun. And I achieved it. I had the most fun. It didn't work. It didn't fill me. I was still empty. I tried right living. I'm going to be a good person. That didn't work either. The, how about the hardest worker, the richest person, the, the, the most honor, the most power? I tried all of these things, he says. And the, I still agree with my beginning assumption here. It's all just sort of empty. It doesn't, it doesn't fill up what's lacking. We were made for something, but that, that does, these things, the things we tend to pursue, they don't, they, they, they don't adequately put enough in in order to fill me, to give me that sense of filling. And again, he, he wanders through all these topics and, and wrestles with them and, and, and comes to the same conclusion. It's vanity. It's, it's empty. But he gets to the end, and he, this is the last two sentences of the book and says this, the end of the matter. Here it is. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. Okay? Now, sometimes, sometimes we, get, we come across things that tell us, like, here's, here's the thing to go and do. And we get a lot of detail on that. Sort of instructive. Ecclesiastes is, isn't so much instruction as it's a warning. It's a warning for all of us who come along and say, I'm going to do what I can to try and make the most of my own life. I'm going to do everything I can to try and pursue some of these things that are in the list, and to pursue the things on this list, to try and make something of myself, to try and get a sense of fulfillment. And the author of Ecclesiastes says, knock yourself out. Knock yourself out. Without a lot of detail about, about alternatives, the author of Ecclesiastes simply says, it, it won't work. I had more resources than you, the author says. I had, I had everything at my fingertips, and I was able to achieve it, and here's what I found. I got to the bottom of all of those things, and there was still more. It was a bottomless pit. Here's the thing. Fear God and keep his commandments. And ultimately, we're sort of judged by this. Who, what did we do with God? Who was he to us? You see, that... That first thing we find out in Genesis chapter 1 is that we were built for something. We were built to be fillers and formers along with God. What did we do with that? Did we do anything with it? That's what he's, he, he comes to that conclusion after every pursuit in life. So remember, the first point is sort of like a, a, a negation, Okay? The first, when it comes to, to filling up the emptiness, we have to understand that it's really, while it's really enticing, and we may look around and see other people more effectively pursuing other ways of trying to fill themselves, that ultimately, there is no filling apart from God. There's no filling apart from Him. It doesn't happen in life. So what does it mean to fear God and keep his commandments? Let's, a couple more ideas, another point here. There's, and again, there's a lot of places we could look. I'm, I'm trying, I, I want to just share just a couple with you. 
there seems to be this idea of justice, kindness, and humility. The prophet Micah says it this way in one succinct place. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good. God has told you what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? If we sort of sum up what it means to, to walk with God in this, in this, um, in, in this life, it, it's this. It's, it's, can, we, can, we, can we practice justice? Meaning, can we not cheat our neighbor? Can we be fair and right? Can we love kindness? And that's, look, it's simple to say don't be a jerk, right? Which is sort of what is said here. Love kindness. Yeah, don't be a jerk. But my goodness, I have to just speak to this. We have culturally in our moment, we've allowed ourselves to, to become jerks to ignore the second thing said here in Micah because we believe we're practicing number one. That in, in my effort to, to do justice, to see justice come about, I'm going to be a real jerk to everyone in my world. And somehow we believe that that's justified. We've given ourselves permission to be terrible to our neighbors. I, I mean, look, I'm sorry. I was, I watched, what, 10 days ago with what happened in the Capitol building. And I'll tell you the thing that broke my heart the most was people breaking out in songs of hymns to God. Whether, no matter where anyone lands on any sort of political spectrum, there's no, that, that, that the, the activity of, of harming my neighbor is not compatible. With, with this message. Be, practice kindness. Love it. Pursue it. We don't have permission to just be jerks because we believe that we're pursuing justice. And don't inflate your worth. Live humbly with God. There's so much more, but let's... In the New Testament, it's sort of summed up this way. Live a good and quiet life. <laughs> Second Timothy, or First Timothy, sorry, chapter 2. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 2. Paul, again, we looked at earlier. He writes this. He says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, that's requests, prayers, intercessions, or just on behalf of requests for, uh, on behalf of others, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. But look at this that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Notice what he says here, verse 3. This is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He's, there's an action in this, and it says, he says something that I just, I'm not sure we believe. I'm not sure that we, and I'm, we, I'm not sure I believe it. Pray for others especially those in charge, especially those in charge, kings and authorities <clears throat> in high position. It doesn't matter. Yes, presidents, but also just pray for those in charge of us. For this reason, this is so fascinating to me. We make that prayer, 
so that we can lead a quiet life. We can lead quiet lives. I have to confess, when it, my flesh doesn't want a quiet life. Doggone it, I'm convinced, my, convinced that my voice has to be heard. I think that I'm going to give meaning to my life. I'm going to fill up what makes me empty by my influence, by, by enacting change, by being an agent of, of change. I think in so many ways we're just convinced that the goal of life is to make my voice heard. I think that's, that's a, it's a cultural slogan that I think many of us have just adopted. That my life is meaningless if my voice isn't heard. And yet Paul says to Timothy, and who has a, next to Jesus, who has a larger voice in our New Testament scriptures than Paul? And he says this, do your best to just have a quiet life. Not more of yourself, less. And it's fascinating because he even connects this. Having a good and quiet life promotes the gospel. It's not just about a life on my own that just simply might satisfy me. It's about something greater. It's about the beginning of the story that God in creation worked and moved. He worked and he moved to produce something. I'm going to invite the the worship team and Brett's here to come down and join us as we wrap up with just this last thought. That if, if, if we're seeking a full life, it's absurd to expect that life, that our life's going to be fooled, f- filled in the pursuits where God is not found. If he's the one who fills all things, if he's the one who gave us the role of being fillers with him, why would we think that we're going to find a fulfilling and meaningful life apart from him. It's crazy to say that I want my life to be full, but then to pursue all the stuff in the Ecclesiastes list, the stuff where, where God is, is, it's not that God's absent, but it's not, they're not the means by which God uses to fill. It's crazy to think that I'm, I'm going to pursue wealth or power, that I'm going to pursue influence, and that that's where I'm going to be filled up. It's an It's an empty pursuit. There's, again, there's mornings where we we say, here's here's sort of one thing to do this week. But really what I hope we can do, and we have done, is pointed out, look, there are are places to go, there there are avenues to pursue that produce the kind of filling that God provides. The scriptures give us indications of where they are. And this morning, what we, we want to do is we want to look at those things. We want to put our eyes on, in those places to see them. And we want to ask God to help us to, to fix our eyes on them, to look at them intently, and to ask him to help us move there. Would you pray with me? God, we... Um, we thank you that, uh, that ultimately you not only have the power to fill, but that you do. You do give meaning and purpose. And God, I confess to you that I, I still struggle to believe you. That my faith 
needs to increase because I just, I, I just, I still think that I'm going to make it happen. And so, God, I, I ask today that you would, um, you would help us to see where you are, to see the places that, that you that you bring your power to our life to, to provide that filling that, that we just don't, we don't have in any, in any other spot. So God, we, we pray today that, that it would be real to us, that we would be, uh, we'd be encouraged by, by your words that it's not about more and bigger, but God, it's about quiet with you. It's not about how much we can, we can accomplish and achieve, God, but it's just about kindness and humility with you and, and being with you, pursuing you. God, would you be with us now as we turn our attention to you to, to, to thank you and to tell you that you are um, you're our Savior and uh, how thankful we are. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to worship, and as um, the band begins to play, if you're uncomfortable with worship given um, the setting, please feel free um, to, to go ahead and step out. Thank you.